take charge. Men, step up. Be there for those children, your children. And uh, uh, just let's, let's bathe our women's conference in prayer, okay? And uh, I really want to encourage you uh, to be there, ladies. I uh, got to look over the outlines of the workshop leaders. And uh, what, what a joy, what excitement I had in just looking that over and realizing, you know, this is, we're not calling somebody from some college or seminary to come and do this. This is our gals. And that's really, it's really exciting. Um, so, okay, uh, we are in a study in the little book of Colossians in the New Testament. And we're still in chapter 1. And I'd like you to take your Bible and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, take one from the pew in front of you and open it up to Colossians. Just a little book right in the middle of the New Testament. And uh, turn there to chapter 1. Hey, you know, when I was a little boy, I had somewhat of a fascination with the Civil War. Not that I'm a history buff, mind you. But um, I, I just had a, a fascination with the Civil War. And um, part of that fascination was how in the world could fellow countrymen turn and, and kill one another? And uh, then taking a, a quantum leap from my childhood up to adult age, uh, remembering the shock of watching the movie by myself, uh, Saving Private Ryan where movie makers now are able to make it look like war, which I, I wouldn't know because I've never been in a war. Now, some of you have been in war, and you know. Not just in, in the service, but you've been on the battlefield. You've been in war. And from what I understand, you would never want to return to do that. If you, you know, if you could get out of it, you know, if you had to for your country, you would. That's why you did it in the first place. But there are, um, as I, as I, you know, think over people that I've met in, the, in my past, not just here in Fallon, but in the, in Southern California, I realize there's, there's just a few that I have met who have actually been on the battlefield in war, killing other people from other countries, the battlefield of Vietnam. I, I don't know. Anyone here been at, at, in World War II? I don't think, I don't know if we had anyone fighting in World War II. But, uh, you know, it's just, just these kind of times where, you know, we get older and not have that many left anymore. But Vietnam, uh, the Korean War, others, uh, the Middle East and all. And so we, we look at these folks and say, you know, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you did for our country. And then we kind of go on our way. But this morning, our, the passage that we're looking at, I want to direct your attention to the fact that all of us have been in a war of another kind. We've been in a war against God. And we don't, we are not readily, uh, we don't readily admit to that. It's a war with far greater implications and consequences because of one word, 
eternity. Eternity is at stake. Each and every one of us sitting in this room, along with each and every person here in Fallon, in Nevada, in America, and in the world, have been at war against God. But now, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are now no longer at war with Him. You are now in His family. You've been adopted into His family. And you can call Him, what? Abba, Father. You can call out to Him as your as we call it, as your daddy. You can call out to him in prayer. But some of you, maybe even sitting here in this building, in this room, some of you are to this day still fighting and rebelling against God. Now, we can't read that. No one can read that but God. And that's the reason for the unrest in your heart. That's the reason you have no hope when you face death. When you face death, if you have no hope regarding what's to come, it's because you're still fighting against God. You're still in that war. And deep inside, you are laden with guilt. And that shows up every so often. That shows up in the way you you respond to people in the way you deal with situations in life. And listen, it affects, because you are at war with God, it affects every area of your life. And you know what? So interesting that the solution to this war, the the resolution to this war, is right here in the pages of the Bible. Pointing us to one person that we celebrated his resurrection last week, the person of Jesus Christ, the real person, the historical person who really lived, who really lived in a body, a physical body, and really did get nailed to a cross, really did get beaten up by Roman soldiers, mocked at, and he literally died on the cross, and he literally rose up again from the grave the third day. And that is the solution right under your nose. And yet, people keep on going, fighting and battling against God. And this is the very subject that Paul emphasizes in writing to the Colossians. That they would see who Jesus Christ really is and that there's no need to add anything else to what he did in his life and in his Ministry and then in his death and his resurrection. Nothing needs to be added to that. Nothing. And so we, we've done this already in our study in Colossians where we've seen Paul come to the place where we, he breaks forth in, in a hymn of praise in verse 15 through 17 and says, here's who he is. He's the image of God. The very image of God. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. That's what we mentioned last time. He's also the firstborn of all creation, meaning his, here's his position. His, his position is one of preeminence in all of creation. And because of that, he's, he's also, he's the creator. He's the sustainer of all of life. 
It's by him that he holds all things together by the power of his what? Word. The power of his word. Hebrews 1 verse 3. And then it goes on and it shifts from saying, here he is, he's the, the creator, the sustainer of all things in, in the universe. And then it shifts to say, and he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Also that he would have first place in everything with not one thing missing. So that's what Paul does to set things up. All that Christ would have first place, the preeminence in all things. And so Paul next, next he reminds them of their, he's talking to the, the believers here at the Colossian church, and he's saying, and don't you forget the previous condition that you were once in. And so we pick it up there in verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister." And so, that's where Paul goes. Paul reminds the Colossian Christians of their previous condition. And he's basically saying, here's why we need to be reconciled. Now, this term reconciled is going to come up where we, we need to remember what that is. Okay? And so, he's going to start us off. And here's the, if you want to follow in the outline that's in your bulletin, you can follow along. It's point number one here is the prompting, the prompting of reconciliation. Why do we need reconciliation? Here's the prompting. Well, what does it say in verse 21? You are formerly alienated. Okay. Letter A, the condition of alienation. Alienation. This is the condition of our relationship with God before Anyone comes to faith in Christ. We're alienated. What does that mean? It means estranged. It means separated. It means withdrawn. As with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created what? In the image of God. And they were to have fellowship with God. And that was broken by Adam and Eve. They broke that and thus came this alienation, this estrangement. We all started off that way. We, you know, in a sense, here's the representation of us in Adam and Eve. If it was, you know, Woody and Noreen, that would have been us. Any one of you. You know, it, it's not that it was just Adam and Eve and they had the problem and what's with them? It's any one of us because in Adam we all are Sinners, like it or not, we're all sinners, okay? And so we started off with this, and this is, this is uh, the idea of a condition of alienation, and what it goes to is, it's just, here's, it's rebellion against God. That's the condition you're in. Little Luke Calvin, as sweet as he can be, 
I've said this before, mom and dad don't have to train him one bit to sin. He's going to sin. Right? Same with the with Micah and Bobby Lynn's little baby. And Ted and Becky's little... Yeah, I get to add you in too. All of you with little babies, you don't have to train them to sin. They will sin because they're sinners. They've got the, the rebellion in them. Right? And all of us, therefore, are in this condition of alienation. Letter B, it goes on... It says here, because of this condition, here's the mindset, the mindset of hostility. The mindset against God is hostility, letter B. This is the internal bent of your mind and thus your heart. And it's the bent of all humanity of hostility against God. Now, that word hostility is going to connect with other words that you see in the New Testament describing our condition, that of being our minds were once darkened. Darkened. Um, the, the futility of our minds, apart from Christ. Uh, being hardened. Or being excluded from the life of God. All that relates and is parallel in the thinking here. A, mind of, a mindset of hostility. Because we all, listen... The reason is because we all, Romans chapter 1 says we all exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we believed in our own self-sufficiency rather than in God's all-sufficiency. And we continue to do that. And by the way, we put on religious stuff and act like, you know, we want to be good and we'll fix things up. And so we put religious kind of coverings on it and paint it all up as religious. And yet, what's inside? Dead men bones. Dead man bones. Because there's no life inside. If you paint up the barn, you know, it, it still doesn't fix the inside. And so... This condition, the need, the, why we need reconciliation is the condition of alienation, the mindset of hostility. And if you're taking notes, just jot down Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. The mind is hardened against God. Insensitive to the things of God. Blind. Can't see. You know, we, we teased Bill a little bit, but here's an example, you know, Back when the accident happened, he, it's like he couldn't see out of that eye. And he has trouble with the other one already. But here's a, a man walking around and he can see things, but he's really blind. And that's what people are apart from Christ. They're blind to the spiritual things. The life of Christ. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. Let her see. It goes on to the acts of wickedness. That's what he tells us. Verse 21, you are formerly alienated, you're hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. Engaged in. A part, it's just, this is the outward manifestation of what's going on in the inside. Okay? Now, I know, it's not like uh, little Luke or any of the other little babies. All of a sudden, you know, at a certain age in, you know, six months old, all of a sudden start, 
screaming out rebellion against, you know, whatever. It takes time for this to develop, but the seed of it is in your heart. And it'll take time to develop. But for me, you know, I know, I remember junior high days in Minnesota doing certain things in junior high days. You know, I, I remember those things where I knew I was going to do this because it was fun, but I was guilty, not just with mom and dad, but before God. And you, you folks can remember those things too in your life that you did something and it was like, but that was fun. Yes, and sin is, sin is pleasurable for a season. And then it's time, you know, it's either you, you confess that or it starts building up in your heart and you get calloused more and more in your heart to the things of God. You don't want God telling you what to do. That's the condition that people are in. The Bible tells us it's everything. And some, I, I, this is a hard thing to get in our minds, but it's everything a person does. If they're not in Christ, and I've, it can be the sweetest person in the world, a sweet lady, a sweet, you know, a, 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 a good man. And yet, before God, everything they do is wicked. And you say, that's crazy. See, the reason why we say it's crazy is because we're going by our own standard of thinking. We've got to go by God's standard, right? An evil deed, an act of wickedness, is anything that stands in opposition to what God has told us. It could be outright rebellion. Or it could be an act done in self-sufficiency. And when we see an act done in self-sufficiency, we say, wow, that was really neat that you did that. But it, if it wasn't done for Christ, if it wasn't done for God's glory, then it's, then it's a matter of wickedness. Because it, it falls short of what? The glory of God. Man, by nature, is destitute of holy principles, of holy desires. There's nothing in man's character which is pleasing in the sight of God. Yet God created you in his image. Thus, why did he create you? So we could, you know, slave and sweat and, you know, work through all these years of, you know, whatever, labor and, and life. So he could just watch us sweat it out. Why did he create you? And see, this is an interesting question that you could ask your friends in regards to just engaging in conversation with them. Why did he create you? Because most everyone, their, their point of reference is just 60, 70, 80 years. And then it's done. But God created you so that you would, number one, know him. Not be alienated, but know him. And then glorify him. In this life and the life to come. Alright? So that's really what it gets down to. That's what it boils down to. And you and I, on our own strength, we can't do that. And we never could. Because we can never be pleasing to God in our own strength. Until we are reconciled with God. 
And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to reconcile you. Okay? And so, here's the prompting of reconciliation. And the next point, point number two, is the provision. The provision of reconciliation. And here's the present tense condition of Christians. Okay? This is where it starts with. Verse 22. Yet, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. That's, the, that's point number two right there in that section. And under number two, letter A is we have a worthy Savior. And letter B, we have a worthy sacrifice. The reason we need reconciliation does not mean you just get a change of behavior and then you're all right with God. We already mentioned that. It's not like you just paint the outside and figure everything's cool with God. You have to have an internal change. And you and I can't clean that up. It's not just a matter of correcting some behavioral flaws. You know, if I just fix this up, then I'll be fine with God. No, you need to be reconciled to God. Simply correcting the behavior is never going to solve the problem. And what I need is a cure, not just a pain reliever. See, that's the way a lot of us think. If you just give me a pain reliever, I'll be fine for the, you know, the next couple of years. We need a cure for our sin condition. We need a cure. And that's where Jesus comes in, where he says, yet now he has reconciled you back to God. And, and then along with that, it's in his fleshly body through death. And you know what? Listen, important point in the overall study of the book of Colossians, very important point here. Paul is saying this specifically to deal with the heresy that's going on in Colossae. The false teaching that's happening there because they were saying, oh, he just, you know, Jesus just is kind of, you know, he's one of those spirits that came, you know, and uh, an emanation appeared and, and he was there and he died and all those kind of, those are false teachings. When Paul says he did it, he reconciled you in his fleshly body. Okay. He's making a strong point of what is happening behind the scenes in the church at Colossae. So the provision of reconciliation is both a savior and a sacrifice. Now to understand reconciliation, you and I must understand the message of sin and condemnation. Now, it's, we've got to understand this, uh, the condition of all of point one. And then on top of it, you know, we can come to say, if I've truly been reconciled with God, I can come forth saying, I think of that song. And I'm forever grateful to you. I'm forever grateful for the cross. I'm forever grateful to you that you came to seek and save the lost. Okay? And Jesus, listen, Jesus offered himself up. Most of you know this. He offered himself up. It wasn't that the Roman or the the priestly soldiers caught him. Yes, they did. 
It wasn't that the Roman soldiers trapped him. Yeah, okay, they got him. But he offered himself up. He willingly offered himself up for that. It wasn't that he was trapped. It wasn't that he was caught or cornered. He gave himself. Mark these references down. John chapter 7 and 8. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? Lays down his life. Okay? Sacrifice. It's mentioned. And Jesus is the one that's, that's bringing it forth. He's the one that's saying, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. And then Peter, in his epistle, Peter makes it crystal clear. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you're healed. So the provision of reconciliation is both a savior and a sacrifice. God's wrath against sin was poured out and it had to have been and it was rightly done and the hostility of wicked men was put upon Christ. Our wickedness was put upon Christ and Christ in his his work on the cross perfected and that's why he could cry out it is finished and so i could say you know what i'm forgiven and you you can say it too if you're a believer in jesus christ you can say it with great confidence i'm forgiven i'm pardoned and that brings in this issue of the reconciliation the whole gem. That's what I, I entitled the message. The beauty of reconciliation. Okay? Point number three. Point number three is the purpose. The purpose of reconciliation. Look at the end of uh, verse 22. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Okay? So the purpose was not simply to get you a ticket into heaven. The purpose of reconciliation was far greater than that. When he says here, look at the verse. It says that word, in order to present you. And that's a similar word to what we have in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Okay, and there it's talking about present your bodies as a what? A living, holy sacrifice unto God. And so this is the kind of thing where it's like, Here's the inspector and they, they check out the lambs and the animals that are headed to sacrifice in the Old Testament sacrifice, sacrificial system. And they check these animals coming through and making sure they're, you know, they're, they don't have a bad blemish on them because the blemish disqualifies them from sacrifice. Need a, a sacrifice is going to be worthy of God. And here's the idea. Jesus didn't come just to get you into heaven. Jesus came to do a a work in your life right here, right now. And it starts with number uh, point uh, letter A, confirmed as holy. Confirmed as holy. Again, we know we're familiar with this term, but the word holy means to be set apart. Set apart or to be separate from the things of the world. 
we are now in Christ, and being in Christ, we're holy in a way that makes us acceptable in the presence of God, who is perfect in His holiness. Okay? That's my position. And if you're a Christian, that's your position in Christ. God looks at you in Christ and sees that you are holy. And I, I've said this before and will say it until I die. And that is, you've got to practice your position. Are you practicing your position? Are you in Christ? Then you are holy in your position. But your practice and your lifestyle needs to show that Here's where I'm headed. Here's where I'm going in life. Letter B. The purpose of reconciliation to confirm you as blameless, without blemish, without defilement. The work of Christ to reconcile us back to God is so great and so powerful. And here's why. There will not be one spot, one mark against you. There will not be one defiling sin stain upon your life because of what Jesus did at the end of it all. It's because of what Jesus did. His blood covers my sin. And thus the the picture from Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, put the blood on the doorposts and the, the angel of death will what? Pass over. Because of a sacrifice. And here is the the precious, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who shed His blood so that you and I would be redeemed and reconciled to God. That's why we can sing songs, you know, when I stand in glory, I will see His face. How could we say that? about a holy, perfectly righteous, holy God. And here I am, and here you sit, and we know we're sinners. We know it. How could we sing that with confidence? Because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ? Letter C. We're confirmed as above reproach. Just think. Many of you have been in a courtroom setting and the judge can come in and sit down and say, okay, what's the charge? And everyone kind of looks around at each other when you're on the, on the seat there, on the hot seat, and everyone looks around and says, uh, uh, it's taken care of by that guy. That guy being Jesus. And in the courtroom of life, in regards to being above reproach, guess what? There's no charges against you. There's no accusations that, oh, you did this. And, you, and guess what? Satan is, the, is called the accuser of the brethren. So if you're a Christian and if you're in Christ, when you have those thoughts, oh, well, I'm just no good. I just can't, I'm this and that. Well, Satan's going, yeah, because he's the accuser of the brethren. And he wants to cause that, those seeds of, uh, those kind of thoughts to kick into action in your life. That's what he wants. So how are you going to respond, my friend? How do you respond? Oh yeah, I guess I'm no good. Wait a minute. 
Go back and, and study who am I in Christ? Who am I? And what has Christ done for me? And this is what the Christian life is about. It's not about, you know, how good I am or what I can do. It's about what Christ, who Christ is. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 and 18 there. Yeah. And, and what he's done on my behalf is my Savior. Remember, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. But now he's made you holy, blameless, above reproach. Romans 8, mark it down, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to do it? Who is there to condemn? But now he has reconciled you. You're no longer at enmity with God. And it's for the purpose of a great significance in your life. So, we come to point number four. And that is the proof of reconciliation. The proof of reconciliation. Now the aim is for the future. From here on out. Let's move ahead. What is it about? And look at verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now, that phrase is not designed to cause doubt. It's there as a condition. Since. Since. Okay? The idea that since you continue, in other words, if you're, if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, guess what's going to happen? You'll continue walking in that direction. That's the idea behind that verse, verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, look at these words, look at them, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Okay? So, Point number four is the proof of reconciliation. In other words, are you truly reconciled with God? It will, it, it, it's going to surface, it's going to show by these two points. Letter A, continuing in maturity. Continuing in maturity. That's what he's saying here by being firmly established and steadfast. Young people. One of the biggest things in your life is you want to you get older and mature and be uh, kind of labeled as an adult. Yes? Yeah. You want that responsibility. Oh, but the things you're going to get into. <laughs> See, all the children, they want to uh, be... They get to that age where they want to be seen as an adult and treated like an adult. Mom, stop treating me like a little baby. But when it comes to the Christian life, why don't we want to grow up and be an adult? Because we're not spending time with Jesus. We're not abiding in Him and abiding in His Word. We need to move on in that direction, keep going in that direction. Listen, it's a lot like a marriage. Okay? What's a marriage designed to be? 
if I were to have gone forward at Placerita Baptist Church and walked down the aisle or wherever I came in from, whatever door I, 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 did, I did my vows and I gave Noreen my smooch and said, I love you. And then I walked off and did my own thing. Isn't that a great marriage? Gee. I mean, it's so basic, right? You get married and then you live together and you are now no longer two, but you're one and and all interests and all concerns and all all the things of marriage. And and the idea is that you're going to grow in love more and more and, and be committed to loving your spouse. Okay? And it's... We can say, you know what? I, we love fairy tales. And we want to keep saying, and they lived happily ever after. But you know how you live happily ever after? Letter B. <laughs> Continuing in perseverance. Continuing in perseverance. Okay? You're going to keep on. You're going to endure. You're going to stay on course. You're not going to drift away from the what? What does the Bible say? You're not going to drift away from the hope of the gospel. And a lot, you know, we, a while ago we did a series on hope. That word is really critical to the Christian faith. Every day you wake up, you have some sort of a hope for the day. And that idea needs to go directly through all the, um, the temporal things of life to, to Jesus, to the cross, to God, and say, my hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in the Lord. And that your life would then show that hope in that direction of, of eternal things. Okay? The hope of the gospel. The hope is that confident expectation that what Christ Jesus secured for us in His death and resurrection will totally be fulfilled in glory before Him. You know, listen, we've got to wrap it up here in a little bit, but listen to this. We can drift off, like He's saying here, do not move away from the hope of the... or don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. And I can... If I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, we can start drifting off into licentiousness. In other words, uh, the idea of licentious is just do whatever you want to do. And you start living that way, drifting off into that. Or some of us have gone off drifting off into legalism. And I'm going to keep my rules and my list, and that's what's going to make me holy. And so it's, it's a concern that we, we understand what, so easily, um, what we can so easily drift off into. And he's saying, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. And right there is the gem of grace underlying that, the hope of the gospel. Okay? The right relationship with God is the foundation for everything we do. If you're reconciled with God, what do you have? If you're reconciled with God, what, what one key attribute do you have, uh, characteristic do you have? You've got peace. 
There's peace with God. In that a relationship that was once broken is now made right and there's peace. Listen, I have, um, it's just the way I'm kind of built and the way I, I, I go. I, if knowing in a congregation of this size, you know, I, if there's someone that's not happy with the way things are going, I feel like, oh, I got to go fix that. I can't fix that. But I, I have that desire to want to fix that because I don't want anyone upset. Because I don't want a broken relationship. And we've got to remember that Jesus is the only one that can bring true reconciliation. Okay? And a lot of you, you know what it's like in a broken relationship. You know, you've been there, you've walked in it, and you've cried and hurt over a broken relationship. If I've been reconciled with God, and I've been made right with my Creator, now because of that, here's my heart's desire, that there'd be reconciliation that, that would be happening in our relationships. Now, I know, I know, I know it can't be there all the time. It can't, you know, it can't iron out everything. But that's going to be my desire. Why? Second Corinthians chapter five. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things are, are now, they're new. And then the very next verse goes on to say, and you have received the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18. You've received it because you've been reconciled to God. Right relationship with God. And then, you know what the next verse after that goes? Is, and now, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is that telling you? What does an ambassador do? He speaks on behalf of the president. In this case, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to do. I want to bring forth reconciliation and the, the best way is to get him say, Lord, please help us in this issue of reconciliation to point them to you. Because you're the, you're the one. You're the one. A right relationship with God is foundational for everything we do. Everything. In coming to Jesus... Maybe it's that you're here this morning and you know in, in your heart, you know, if you're to stand before God right now and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, well, I tried to be a good person. That will not work because your righteousness is called in the Bible as filthy rags before God. So you've got to be made right with God through the righteousness of a savior, Jesus but in, in recognizing that need, you don't come to Jesus and first get things cleaned up by yourself. You can't do that because sin needs a cure, not a pain reliever. You come to him on his terms. And when you do, you have peace. And Christian, when you and I walk in such a way that we're drifting from the hope of the gospel, then we start doing things that are going to be reflecting of our old nature. Why is there so much anguish 
and anger and stress in people's lives? Why is there depression and loneliness and hurt and pain? All that. I'm not saying we can avoid it, but when you are reconciled with God, you have peace with Him. And what kind of God is He anyway? Is He a Wizard of Oz kind of God up in the sky? It's trying to pull every slot and figure out which one to do now. That's not God. God is all powerful. God is magnificent. God is sovereign. God is, you know, keep the list going. Keep the description going. Here's a, a little story about reconciliation. Then we'll close it in prayer. Um, an old pastor that's now gone to be with the Lord by the name of Stephen Olford. He's a great preacher. Tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. Remember what we started with this morning in our time about war? There's a lot of stories about reconciliation in, in the American Revolution. And uh, sacrifice there, obviously. But this pastor... This Baptist pastor during the American Revolution, his name was Peter Miller. He lived in uh, Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he enjoyed the friendship of George Washington himself. In Ephrata also lived a man by the name of Michael Whitman, an evil-minded sort who did all he could to oppose and humiliate Pastor Miller. And one day Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's my bitterest enemy. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant you your pardon. And he did, and Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. And see, what it boils down to is this. I know in my heart I've been reconciled with God. I've, been, I've got a right relationship with God. It wasn't because of how good I climbed up the ladder of success. It was out of the grace of God. And many of you have that same assurance. And now then, therefore, that, let us be ambassadors for Christ because we have the ministry of reconciliation and let's learn what that's like in helping relationships be restored for God's glory. Let's, uh, let's magnify Christ in our relationships. Moms and dads, teach your children well in this regard. Help them to learn about what it means. You know, it's, it's much easier helping the bitterness to just fester. Yeah, shouldn't have happened, you know. That's the way. It, oh, and, 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 and just the little things that we can say to stoke the fire of bitterness. But if I'm truly forgiven, then what should I be doing? Pass along how to forgive others. Matthew chapter 18. Okay. All sorts of examples. There's a purpose why you've been re reconciled. Now let's go today and put it into action. Amen?
Heavenly Father, we bow before you and thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it's so clear. Please help us. Help us not to just acknowledge that it's really clear. Help us to walk it now and live it. And Lord, you never intended salvation just to be a get out of jail free kind of a deal. You want to do a work in our hearts, Lord. So help us to submit to you. Help us to look at what you've done in your word and then apply it and ask for your help in applying it in our lives. In honoring you in holiness, in praise. Because, Lord, you are so, so worthy. We praise you and thank you for our time here in the Word and in worship. Bless these dear people. Help them and me. Help us all, Lord, in drawing near to you and trusting you throughout this day and this week. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if there's someone you have not met, turn around and introduce yourself. Welcome them to our time here this morning.